Well, good morning again, and um, today we're going to be in John's first epistle. So if you want to turn there to chapter 4, that's where we're going to uh, have our concentrated reading. Of course, we'll be all over scripture because it, uh, it always isn't in its entirety and in context, just um, speaks God's word to us. So we're glad uh, that God has given us this word. You know, the word, the world often says, you know, why doesn't you know, I wish God would come down and speak to us. Well, he does. And there's a lot here. <laughs> and once you learn that and memorize it from front to back, then you can say, um, now you've got to start over because you're going to see how God speaks to you even, even uh, through his word again. The second time, we always are learning more and more, especially as we mature in our walk with the Lord, right? When we first come to know him, uh, we're drinking the milk. And that's always wonderful. But then we grow into the meat of God's word and it just becomes richer and richer. I'm confident that we'll, we'll be spending all eternity just learning the wonderful things of the Lord and all that he has for us. Um, today, I want to refresh your memory. I don't know how long it's been since you've been into... Well, my words here say, when's the last time you opened up the jars of pickles to the church? Now, I know that sounds a little strange, but that's what happens when you do dictation to your iPad, and it doesn't really understand you. (laughs) (laughs) Jars of pickles to the church. You know, here's the thing to know. This is of the world, and it doesn't understand us. When's the last time you opened up John's epistles to the church? That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) Right? John, of course, most of us know that he was uh, one of the disciples, uh, a fisherman. He was part of that ragtag group that uh, followed, started following Jesus early in his ministry. So, you know, when you look at that group of guys, you don't think uh, of anything really special. Yeah, there wasn't anything special about them. There isn't anything special about us. But God changes people. He takes ordinary men and women, and he turns them into his Um, servants. And God can change them. He can change you. He can change me. He's in that business and he changes us from the inside. God's will will be done. And his will was to get his message out, his word out to all of mankind. Let's pray. Father, you are holy. You reached out to us because of your great love with which you had for us. Lord, as we open your word, we know that it's inerrant and that is infallible. And Lord, it's profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction. As we read your word today, Father, open our hearts that we might receive you and what you have for us. Open our eyes that we might see you in your word. 
and that we might be transformed to be more like your son, Jesus. And it's his precious name that we pray. All right, the first epistle of John, chapter 4. First of all, why is he writing this to us? Well, he tells us in the first chapter that he's writing um, so that we, our joy might be filled or might be full. In the second chapter, that we may sin not. And then again in, in the second chapter, he says, I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. In chapter 5, he gives us that reassurance too. I write to you so that you may know you have eternal life. He does this in a comparative fashion, comparing uh, how we, we, we should be living and how we shouldn't be living. So there's some tests. But here he's especially focused on false prophets. Now, the other reason, the focus on this entire epistle if you start out in the beginning, remember um, how he starts. He starts a little, uh, the first part with, with God's deity. But then he goes into a further clarification and really focuses on the humanity of Jesus Christ. And the reason he's doing this is because the, the false teachers in the day are Gnostics. And they're within the church. And so... As you can imagine, this is the early church. Well, there's two groups in, in, uh, that are Gnostics here. One group believes that Jesus was an illusion, and they didn't actually have a physical body. The other group believed that, yes, Jesus had a physical body, but the Christ didn't come upon him until his baptism, and it left him at the cross. This is cancer. And this is what's spreading to the early um, followers of Christ in this early church. And so John is specifically uh, focusing on this. First, the plan of redemption because of Christ. If he didn't have a physical body, and he didn't shed his blood, and he wasn't buried and he didn't rise again, that nullifies the plan of redemption. And that's what, that's what Satan wants to do. Now, it wasn't that they were preaching everything false. They took 90% or I don't know what percentage, but this is very common with, with the deceiver. Everything looks good, but he takes the most important part, the, the key, the crucial parts, and he twists them just slightly. Well, you can't take away the humanity of Jesus Christ and the physical aspect of his sacrifice on the cross without nullifying the whole plan of God's redemption. The second notifies the plan of redemption because it does not accept Christ as being the Son of God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, to us a son is given, a child is born. God gave us his only begotten Son. For that group to be making the statements that Jesus was born of the seed of Joseph with the sin nature of man. No, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
John starts out in the very first, that which was from the beginning. And he's focusing here on that humanity part. But that which was from the beginning. Interesting observation, by the way. In the gospel, John is focused on the deity of Christ. Here he's focused on the humanity of Christ. He just starts out by saying that which was from the beginning. But then he goes into focusing on that humanity uh, by the remaining, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. You cannot do that with an illusion. He's being very decisive. He's sharing, and there's no question in his minds, any of the apostles' minds, or the hundreds of followers of Jesus' time for more than three years. He was present. He ate with them. This is an experiential knowledge of the humanity of Jesus through seeing, hearing, and touching. You may be aware of in, in the Jewish tradition, in the law, it's customary to have two witnesses or more if you're going to make an accusation. Well, there are more than just two there are 12. There are hundreds. This accusation is false. And it's crucially important to our redemption, to our salvation. The evil one wants to deceive people and turn them away from the truth. He's been doing this from the very beginning. Turning people away from everything that God has for us. God's in the business of turning people out of darkness into light. Satan does the opposite. How can we make sure we're following God? Well, John gives us tests to identify that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Here John's telling us to test the spirits. The spirits. You know, probably one of the most difficult things for us is, is our humanity. We're in the flesh. And it's difficult to recognize sometimes because our mind is of the flesh, and we think of these things on, a, on this horizontal platform. But when you dig into God's word and you receive uh, Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual battle. Angels, uh, written in Hebrews, and to the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire. Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. God has his angels as ministering spirits to us because this is a spiritual battle. We need to put on the whole armor of God because we're in a battle. 
For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers of darkness, against rulers of darkness, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is where the battle is being fought. The full armor of God is God's word and following the Lord and being in his word. Crucially important for us as followers of Christ to be in his word. That's where we're encouraged. That's where we're admonished. I need that on a daily basis. If we're not in God's word, then slowly we're moving away. We're fading away. We have to draw, be drawn back. I find myself often when I get busy and frustrated through the day and a little stressed out. It's like, I need to go read God's word. I need some encouragement. I need God to just uplift my spirit. And he does it through his word. We're to test the spirits though. To determine whether they are of God or of the Antichrist. How do you know if you're following truth or lies? Are you following God's word? Or the deceptions of the Antichrist? Remember, he disguises them very carefully. He's very deceptive. Adam and Eve didn't recognize the deception. They heard God's word directly. He deceived them quickly. Abraham didn't always listen to the God and he didn't wait for God's promise. Israel didn't recognize the spirit of error either. It appears even those that we think are the most godly can be led by the spirit of error. This really should give us concern. We must be diligent. We must be in God's word and in prayer because the Holy Spirit, our teacher, will keep us on the right path, will keep us interpreting God's word for the truth that it is. So that's why we must touch the spirits. Remaining part of verse 1, because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. There have been false teachers throughout all of history. We have false teachers today. John's referring to these false teachers, prophets. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Paul is talking about prophecy as being teachers. These prophets are teachers. And John's referring to the same. What are false prophets? Well, (laughs) these are teachers that are claiming to know the truth, but they're teaching people a message to get people to follow them. All messages that are of the truth should be pointing to God. Jesus, his entire walk, was pointing everyone to God the Father who sent him. The truth should always be pointing to God's word. 
to everything that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has spoken to us through his word. Can you think of false prophets in our time? How about the followers of the cult led by Jim Jones? All those people who drank the Kool-Aid. 918 people died in one day. It's unfortunate because most of the time I think people that do that have good intentions. But good intentions, not based in and on the truth, are false. People will suffer. It happens every day. And it continues to happen. It's happening now in our times. You know, I think of people that just in the world listen to everything that's in the media. What is true today? God's word. That we know. Everything else, you don't know. How about Mormons? They talk about Jesus. Sounds like a great group. But it Early on, it was known as a cult, but today we accept them as a faith. Jesus, they believe, who is the spirit child of a heavenly father and heavenly mother. They refer to Jesus, the brother of Lucifer, who proposed a better plan of redemption and won the designation of Messiah. Ludicrous. Lucifer was a created being, an angel, He rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. He's the devil. Can you imagine Jesus being his brother? Take away the deity of Jesus Christ and you again nullify the plan of redemption. It's a lie. This is not at all what the scripture teaches. In the beginning was the word in John's Gospel. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Jesus did not have a time of creation. He always existed. From eternity past to eternity present. He's with God the Father, He's God the Son, and with God the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, the Word, all things were made. To teach that Jesus was the brother of Lucifer is the spirit of Antichrist. And it's sad how many people follow the spirit of error. John gives us tests and that we can separate truth from lies. Verse 2. By this, we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is already in the world. This is clear. And I'm glad John gives us these words. This word confess here is more than just making a statement. 
These false prophets want to make these statements and they they do it in a very um, ambiguous manner, if you will. But it's, oh yeah, yeah, I believe Jesus came. No. This confess, think of it as in the court of law. It's to make a statement to bear witness. In the statement of faith, to confess something of faith. It is truth that you would stake your life on. You may have experienced false prophets confessing to know the truth. Maybe some of you have experienced someone coming and knocking on your door, claiming to know Jesus and the truth. But if you get right to the point, share with them Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, God incarnate, who died and rose again. That Jesus is God who has come in the flesh. If you get right to that point, you'll find out rather quickly with these false prophets. Sometimes they get nervous and maybe they just turn away because they're not well versed in combating that. But other times they'll try and confuse the matter. Get right to that point. Always. If any false prophet comes to you, take it right to God's word. And don't pull God's word one verse out. But it's always in context. They like to do that. That's how the deceiver works. To fight against Christians. They pull out one verse of God's word. One verse of scripture. And they build a case on it. No, it's God's word in its entirety. And it's, it it's, has continuity from the very first words to the very last word. From Genesis to Revelation. There's no questioning what God is trying to tell us. Moving on to verse, the next verse. Four. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is addressing the false teachers. God is greater than the evil one. John's clarifying to the children, we have overcome. God overcame the devil, and we are children of God, the living God. Are you a child of his? If what I'm sharing isn't making sense to you, then you need to question that. You need to ask yourself the most important question you will ever ask yourself. Am I a child of God? And if you don't know the answer to that, then you must do that because your eternity depends on it. Remember, to be called children of God, we must have received Christ. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. As long as you are children, you do not have to fear. God's done all the work. There's nothing we bring to the table 
not in our salvation, not in our walk. The only thing we can bring is, is our obedience to follow him. That's it, that choice. We come humbly to the feet of Christ. And he does everything. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus is doing this. In Christ, there is no fear. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Verse 5 and 6. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world. And the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Jesus speaks to his accusers in his time. And he says to them, If God were your father, you would have loved me. For I proceeded from and came from God. Nor I have come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. The world cannot hear the words of Christ. The words of truth. You are of the father your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, you do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth... Why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. What a great test. If we don't hear God's words, then we aren't of God. You probably experience this when you share the gospel, the good news with somebody. And you get a plethora of reactions. But oftentimes it's they just don't desire to hear. And occasionally you get someone who is drawn. But the world doesn't hear and doesn't want to hear the things of God. So they certainly aren't going to want to hear us. They didn't want to hear Jesus. They hung him on a cross. The apostles were honored to be treated in the same manner that Jesus was treated. Those that do not receive Christ don't have the Holy Spirit within them. They cannot know the truth. And we speak the truth. So they can't understand it. In fact, they're hostile to it. If you're of the world, the world loves its own. The world would listen to you. The world would accept you and they might even celebrate you. They want to turn all truth into lies and celebrate those lies. We see it more and more. And with the proliferation of of instant media today, we see it even more so. 
Christian, Christianity is not like the world. Now, the word Christianity is abused today. To be a Christian means you're a Christ follower. The United States was founded on Christian beliefs. And people often say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian because they're in the United States. Now, fewer today, but that used to be more popular years ago just because you live here. Oh yeah, I'm Christian. No, you are only a Christian if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you follow him. That's what makes us a Christian, Christ. He made us alive. Now, we were all dead once. So we can't think that we're higher and better than everyone else. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we once walked according to the course of this world. We also did not know the things of God, not until he revealed it to us. But God has revealed them to us through his Holy Spirit. This is what Christ is referring to when he said, he must leave so that the Comforter can come. The Comforter is the Holy Spirit. He sent the Comforter to us. And we are the temple of that Holy Spirit. That is the difference between followers of Christ and those of the Old Testament. The Old Testament people didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, living within them. You see, Israel was asked, or it was told by God that they had to routinely do sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. And it was only a temporary forgiveness, a putting off, if you will. We now have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. It is not uh, Israel, God worked with Israel as a nation. He works with believers individually. We get to go directly to God through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. It's through Christ that we're able to go to God the Father. His righteousness was imputed to us. Moving on, John's going to point out that we know God through love. Beloved, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everything, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We shouldn't marvel at that. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from life to death because we love the brethren. How should we love? Well, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Let me give you an example of what this love might look like. 
within the church. Back in 19, or 1378, quite a difference there. John Wycliffe came up against the leaders in the Catholic Church because he recognized false teachings. He wrote against the doctrine of transubstantiation. And he argued the bread, while becoming by virtue of Christ's words, the body of Christ, does not cease to be bread. Of course, that didn't go over well. He reiterated the Bible teaching on faith. Trust wholly in Christ, he said. Rely altogether on his sufferings. Beware of seeking to be justified in any other way than by his righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have no control over anything in our life. How can we think we have any righteousness? It's only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we're justified. Works are fruits that we do as followers of Christ. Works are not meant to make us more righteous. By no means. We do them because God put it in our hearts to do and he prepared them for us to do before the foundations of the world. God planned it before he created us. See, that's our eternal God. It's not just dealing with today. He's dealt with all eternity. His plan of redemption was before the foundations of the world. His plan for us to do works was before the foundations of the world. The only thing we can do is follow him. John went against the church. He also believed that every Christian should have access to God's word because at the time, the Bible was only in Latin. Why wouldn't someone who loves the Lord and loves his fellow brothers and sisters want everyone to have exposure to God's word? He wanted to write that from Latin and translate it into English. And the church bitterly opposed it. There should have been a max exodus at that time. Why would any follower want to keep God's word from someone? This love's not referring... Now let me step back. Um, he loved his brethren, his word, God's word and the brethren more than he loved himself, and he spoke against the authorities and the false teachers of his time because he wanted his sheep to have the truth. This love's not referring uh, to loving everybody, but to love the children of God, the family of God. The Greek word is agapao, from agape. It's the highest form of love that John is talking about here. It's not sentimental social, or human relationships. This is supernatural love. He wrote in chapter 3, and this is the commandment, his commandment, that we, God's commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Jesus prays 
that we would have the love that God the Father has in his prayer when he prays to the Father and he says in his prayer, and I have declared them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. To have the love of God within us, that kind of love. And what's that love look like? Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only son, begotten son, into the world that we might live through him. God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine that. Enemies. We would scarcely die for a good man. Jesus died for us when we were his enemies, yet sinners. No redeeming quality of any one of us. But he went to the cross. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love, his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies and we were, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall live and be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Again, justified by his blood, the false teachers of John's day tried to twist the humanity of Jesus Christ and that his blood really wasn't shed because he was just an illusion or that the Christ left before the crucifixion so that Jesus Christ's blood wouldn't have been shed, but the blood of just some physical man that he came upon. That's a lie. That's the Antichrist. Our sins, what separates from us from God, works can't save us. We will either pay for our sins or we can trust God at his word. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Propitiation is a big word, an important word. Let me clarify what it means. There's been a little debate whether the word too should have been propitiation or expiation. But it's referring to to cover, to wash, to set aside. This is referring to our sin. Jesus covers our debts. 
He pays the price so we don't have to. That's why we rejoice. That's why we want to share the message that God has given us. Because we all start out dead spiritually. Dead and lost in our trespasses and sins. We need the blood of Christ to forgive our sins, to cover our sins. There is no other way. Do you pass the tests that John's showing us here? Do you know God's word and can you recognize it? Do you understand God's word when you read it? Now I know there's some things that are are deeper than you may understand. That's okay. But do you understand Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God and he's dwelt among us. He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. We bring nothing. We will take nothing. But if we walk in the love that God has given us and follow Christ, he promises us eternal life. He says later in chapter 5, I write these things to you. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which has test- he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given us his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have son, the son of God, does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.